0: Hello, this is Haley Nauman, and you're listening to the Maybe Baby podcast. Don't me One day I'm going to be able to say maybe baby" without completely tripping over myself. That's not this week. Okay, I'm going to be reading the 18th newsletter. It's called Notes for Therapy. I did a slightly different approach with this newsletter because I was really having trouble writing down kind of like essay style musings like I typically do. My thoughts were really scattered. I was feeling really emotionally fragile, and nothing I was saying was coming out with any like joy or even like authenticity. And Part of that was because I think I just had a really emotionally trying week, like leaving my family um, in Colorado was really hard and um, I think I was just like adjusting and I also had a couple people criticizing me on Instagram and um, I'm pretty receptive to feedback, but sometimes I think I'm too receptive and I kind of take on criticisms that I don't actually think are fair. Um, and start blaming myself. And I can just kind of go quickly into a spiral. And it was causing me some stress, um, or maybe more accurately, anxiety. So I was really having trouble accessing my more creative mind and the, the part of me that sort of enables me to tap into something that feels kind of open and in search of connection with readers because I was feeling a little bit afraid of the internet and just generally feeling like overexposed and wishing that I could hide. (laughs) I always like catch myself when I kind of revel in the downsides of being a more public figure, which of course is like such a huge spectrum. I'm a pretty small scale one, but um, the, the downsides definitely feel present for me and the upsides are huge and I love connecting with so many people and I love just you know getting to write for my job but um it can be really tough when you feel like your livelihood is sort of linked with um people's perception of you and when people feel like they know you and make really strong character judgments it can be really overwhelming and it's I don't know I think I just I'm not the best at handling it so still working on that I'll take this to my therapist get on with it okay um So this week is all about lists. I have a list of five lists, one of which contains another list. It's very list heavy. It's Russian nesting dolls of lists. So if you like lists, this one's for you. It's also for you if maybe you sometimes put off reading my emails because they feel really dense and your mind is just a little bit hungover from everything going on in the world and you just want some levity, maybe that's what this week can be for you because it was a little bit for me. So the first list, moving right the fuck along, is 13 things I've done since arriving back in New York. Number one, get home from the airport and notice that my cat Bug does not greet me at the door, thus confirming my theory that he has either forgotten me while I was gone or that our relationship was always fueled by unrequited obsession. Wake up the next morning to him jumping on the bed and snuggling me like I'm his long-lost cat mom. 2. Start building the shoe rack that got delivered while I was gone. The consolation prize I was focused on the entire time I was away. As in, I'm not ready to leave my family yet, but at least when I get back there will be the shoe rack. 3. Finish the shoe rack. Wish I had saved finishing the shoe rack for a more pressing emotional moment. 4. Try to write this newsletter. Fail unequivocally. Tell Avi that maybe this whole writing dig is up and then realize a few hours later that I'm just mildly depressed. 5. Walk to the grocery store and remember that I'm in New York and that I love New York and that everyone on the street looks more relaxed than they did a month ago, and maybe things are going to be okay. Buy a nonsensical haul of groceries in a rush, including cheese with no crackers and milk with no cereal. Scurry home shamefully. 6. Think about the way my nieces would raise their arms toward me with pained expressions, so desperate to be picked up I felt like the most critical asset humankind had ever seen for 0.5 seconds. 7. Want to cry. Eat 4pm ice cream instead. 8. Feel existentially and physically lethargic. Drive to Chinatown with Avi to water Andy's plants. Buy a slice of pizza for dinner through a window at Scars, and eat it on the street under our masks. Walk by an outdoor comedy show with cars driving between the comedian and the audience, like nothing we've ever seen. Laugh out a bit about whether squirt is pee. Remember, in an untimely sense, that we're in New York and that we love New York. Walk away. Discuss death, boyhood, and whether squirt is pee. Nine. Wake up the next day and get dressed with a better attitude. Pair a puff-sleeve button-down shirt with workout shorts and loafers. Feel gratuitous and ridiculous in a way that is good and also foreign. Ten. Drink my one weekly iced coffee under a tree swishing in the temperate air. Feel like things are almost normal. Tell my friend Paige, I was dreading coming back here, but then I got here and remembered I love it. To which she said, that's New York. Eleven. Have to pee so bad on my walk home that I become convinced I'm going to pee in my running shorts. Think about all the times I've been in this position since I read that public restrooms are common vectors, and how humbling it is to have a bladder and digestive tract, like two internal alarm clocks on how far you can get from home. Pass a stylish older gentleman getting photographed in the middle of Atlantic Avenue. A gray beard, a three-piece suit, his chin up. Forget my body for one blissful second. 12. Get home and pee for three minutes. Make plans for when I'm done isolating. A distant drink, a distant picnic, a distant coffee. The new social order. Text the food relief program about resuming my drop-off route. Put on bunk beds by Dory Valentine. Pet my cat. Watch the kids playing basketball across the street. Remember one more time that I'm in New York and that I love New York. 13. Start writing this list. List number two is a list of the notes I keep pinned at the top of my notes app. A lot of people in the comments said they didn't know you could pin notes, so if that's you, you know now, and it's a real lifesaver. Pinned note number one. Therapy notes. A running and incriminating list of things I want to discuss in therapy. Pinned note number two, books, a running list of every book I've read by year, which my sister resents me for keeping because why can't I just use Goodreads with the following rating system? No asterisks, wouldn't recommend. One asterisk, would recommend if asked. Two asterisks, would recommend unsolicited. Three asterisks, fuck I love this book and would reread it. Pinned note number three, to-dos, a running list of things I need to do. By day. Formatted as a checklist, obviously. Pinned note number four. The big note of all the things I want to remember. A list of lists referenced often, updated as needed, and including the following. 1. What I need to buy. 2. Where I put that thing. 3. Book Recs. 4. Movie Recs. 5. Show Rex. 6. New York Rex. 7. Gift ideas. Pinned note number five. Newsletter. A note of all thoughts, observations, and ideas that pass through me like a ghost, separated by week. Okay, list number three is a list of one thing. An unused anecdote from my newsletter note. One. In 2018, I was hanging out alone in Avi's apartment, and I wanted to make Rice Krispie treats for when he got back. I looked up a recipe that was slightly fancier than the one on the cereal box, and in an act I simply cannot defend nor justify today, proceeded to use a quarter cup of salt instead of a quarter teaspoon. That is, a cup versus a teaspoon. I didn't realize this until I took the first bite and nearly choked on the saltiness. They were so inedible I had to throw the entire batch away. Avi found this so funny he dubbed them my Rice crispy punishments. List number four. Three recommendations from my book's note. Okay, these I will just kind of talk about instead of reading. Um, The first book is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. I said that you should read this if you want to disappear for three days. Um, I read this book um, last year, but I read another one of his books recently, and it just reminded me of how much I like his writing. Um, Never Let Me Go is a little bit of a dystopian story, but... um, the quality of its writing is really distinct from most dystopian books. It's, it, I compare it kind of more so to like a, a very kind of small and emotional story that like develops certain characters. And so I found that kind of mashup really compelling. And I think what I took away most from the book that made me um, kind of enthralled as a, a reader who's also a writer is the way that he would sort of delve into people's thought processes in a way that was so recognizable to me as like a human way to think and feel and respond, but which I hadn't necessarily seen dictated in a book before. So um, it's one of those, I mean, that's my favorite quality of writing is like recognizing yourself, but having never put it to words or thought to put it to words. And so um, this book was such a pleasure because it did that for me perfectly. Um, Number two, Priest Daddy by Patricia Lockwood. I said that you should read this if you want to laugh and maybe cry, Um, but this is also another one for people who are writers um, or like to write. Patricia Lockwood is um, a poet, but this memoir of hers is, is incredible. She's so funny and smart and sharp, and I found that while I was reading it, I was completely in awe of the craft or her craft, rather. Um, she's so poetic and specific and clever with her use of language that I feel like she's just in a league of her own. Um, so if you've never read any of her work, or if you like follow her on Twitter or just have read her poetry, definitely recommend this memoir. It's um, one that stuck with me for a long time and one that I recommend to um, writer friends. Number three is... Um, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. This is a a book that came out earlier this year that's been getting a lot of attention and has already been optioned to be made into a movie. Um, It's a kind of rare combination of being both a page turner and a really interesting character story and a really thought-provoking kind of cultural commentary on race and... um, I tend to think that sometimes page turners are a little bit lacking in depth because they are so focused on plot, Um, but this book does not lack it. It's super um, nuanced and it explores colorism and um, kind of motherhood and daughterhood and woven through all of that is a kind of a mysterious plot. So, I'm just going to leave it at that because I don't want to spoil it, but that's my third recommendation and we can move on to the fifth and final list. 15 things I consumed this week. One. This week's Small Good Thing is a moving three-minute dance video and poem by Patricia Zhu. It was recommended to me by a reader. It's just a really beautiful, creative work. And if you want to look at something on that app that's not soul-crushing, highly recommend. Number two is the aforementioned Shoe Rack. It's from a bank brand called Open Spaces. I regret to say that I purchased it via Instagram ad because I'm being stalked, and I'm unfortunately very well known by the algorithm. Um, we actually have, like, hanging shoe racks in our closet, but it's definitely packed full, and all of our, like, super accessible shoes, like our trash sandals, our bodega sneakers, our errand slides, are always scattered all around the house, so I finally got a rack that can be kept in the living space that will encourage us to stay tidy without actually having to put shoes away, so. Big recommend. Free is a love letter from Raven Smith in Vogue. It's called The Art of Running Late. Raven Smith is really f- a really funny comedian and writer. I follow him on Instagram and he recently released a book and um, I just love the way he sees the world. And I don't really typically read Vogue very much, but I was excited to see something from him there. And he is someone who is perpetually running late, which is not me. I hate running late. But he kind of sold me on the thrill of it and how much he misses it in quarantine and actually kind of made me miss being late too. So I sent it to all my friends who are perpetually late as a little love letter to them. Four, this evergreen incredible photo of Frida Kahlo and its riveting accompanying anecdote with a letter that she once wrote to Diego Rivera. Um, This was posted on an Instagram account called History Cool Kids. I love this account. They post pretty regularly um, photos from history with little history lessons. And I'm genuinely riveted and read all of them, even though the captions are super long. So that's my very hearty endorsement. But this one about Frida Kahlo was one of my recent favorites. Um, Whoever runs History Cool Kids uh, pasted excerpts from a letter she once wrote as she was going into um, surgery to have one of her legs removed, um, where she's sort of spiting an ex-lover, the Diego Rivera. And it's just an incredible read. So if you've never seen that or you don't know History Cool Kids, I highly recommend you check it out. Five, the definition for solastalgia, care of a commenter from last week's newsletter. Quote, a form of emotional or existential distress caused by environmental change. It's best described as the lived experience of negatively perceived environmental change. I was really compelled by this word because um, earlier in the quarantine, I had this really strange feeling. I mean, I actually feel it now, which is that I miss New York while I'm in New York. And it doesn't quite fit with nostalgia. Um, So I was really excited to come across a word that means missing something that you're in or have access to, but has simply changed. Um, I also think, of course, that this is really relevant for like climate change and gentrification and other kind of more sweeping political, well, actually what's more sweeping and political in a pandemic, but, um, I guess it cuts a lot of ways, but I found a lot of resonance in the definition for myself. Number six is a piece by Lauren Michelle Jackson in Vulture called When Black People Appear on Seinfeld. I love following Lauren Michelle Jackson on Twitter. She's really, really funny, and she's also a great writer. So I immediately clicked on this because I also love Seinfeld and recognized that it's pretty out of outdated in certain ways. Um, but I'm going to actually read a little clip from it because I love what she had to say about the strange phenomenon of black cameos on white sitcoms. Quote, The conceit of Seinfeld resides in its middle-class sympathies. Its normcore aesthetic invites the assumption that its characters are conventional, living and moving about in a world held together by the titular character's observational joke style. In truth, the group is selfish and deranged, delicious micro-menaces to normalcy and etiquette who nonetheless enter and leave each episode with their worlds intact. When white characters run wild on Seinfeld, black people are cops. They exist as agents of public decency next to whom our main characters appear all the more indecent. 7. Three sparkling lime lagers on three separate occasions. A beverage I didn't know existed two weeks ago. It's good. Eight. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Finally. Which I loved so much. Um, I had a feeling I would love it, but it definitely exceeded my expectations. The whole movie looks like a painting. It sounds like an ASMR video if you have ASMR. ASMR. And it just feels really emotionally dense, despite being otherwise pretty sparse. Like, it's sparse looking, and it's also sparse in dialogue and even plot. So um, if that's not your thing, you might not like it. But if it is, it's absolutely a dream. Nine, How to Be an Anti-Capitalist by Eric Olin Wright and Jacobin about capitalism and the four different ways of responding to its ills and whether they've historically worked. This is a thorough and useful piece, and I found it really helpful for um, a lot of the debates I've been having with friends and family about capitalism and whether it makes sense to completely abolish it or whether we need to kind of reform it or something in between um, or let it run wild, which I definitely don't think is right, considering... um, how many people are in poverty right now as a result of it so i found that this piece was really really comprehensive and helpful if you are trying to be more educated on this topic and find yourself kind of caught between arguments that both sound right um this is a great piece to read it takes a little bit of a time investment but i think it was worth it 10. the instagram account I'm actually not sure how to say this want show as young um you'd probably have to see it uh in the newsletter and then just click on it from there if you are curious but it features an 83 year old woman and an 84 year old man modeling clothes left behind at their taiwanese laundromat it's captured by their grandson during the covid lull in business and they are absolutely stylish and adorable and The account has blown up in the last month, and they were recently profiled in the New York Times. It's just a really great follow. It's also a good read. And um, I mean, obviously, I love following old stylish people on Instagram, so I was really happy to find two more. 11. Several Brooklyn apartments on Street Easy with more space and bigger windows than mine, for no other reason than to make myself feel bad. Avi and I are in a lease until May, um, but... I keep daydreaming about moving to another place. I actually love our apartment and I don't want to move. It's the longest I've lived anywhere since I was 18 and it's only been like a little over two years. So I almost don't want to leave like on principle. I think I'm too attracted to the idea of a fresh start and I and I like the idea of really investing in a place and getting to know it in a new way every year. Um, so I, I do, I am compelled by that. Um, but on the other hand, there are certain things that about the apartment that are not ideal for quarantining so it just depends on how long we're looking at doing that for like I would love just the tiniest bit of outdoor space even if it was just like five square feet of a deck or like a shared garden with an apartment building or even the corner of a shared roof we just don't have anything and we also were just really short on storage so things feel a little crowded which doesn't matter unless you're here all the time um anyway i actually do love our apartment but i was just daydreaming to punish myself and i'm not going to move but good to know what your options are just in case you want a little dose of envy you know as you do okay number 12 is a really old vanity fair profile of courtney love actually really old a bit of exaggeration it's from 2011 but it feels really different and from another era. Um, It has kind of a zany, tragic momentum to it that um, I haven't recognized in a profile for a while, except perhaps the Robert Pattinson profile that came out earlier this year, which is the only Robinson Patton profile that matters. Did I just say Robinson? Robert Pattinson? Whatever. Um, But I really loved reading this. I... Was having a conversation with a reader actually who sent it, sent it to me, and they said they had heard Nancy Joe Sales, who's the author, read this in some kind of writing workshop, and um, I was very jealous because that sounds amazing. But my favorite thing about reading this um, profile is that I discovered that I have interviewed Courtney Love's mom multiple times. <laughs> because she's a therapist named Linda Carroll, and I used to use Linda Carroll as a therapist source when I was writing stories for Man Repeller, and I would recommend her sometimes to other writers, and I got her newsletter emails for a really long time, and that's kind of why her name always stuck in my head, so when I heard that Courtney Love's mom is named Linda Carroll and is a therapist, I was like, um, and I googled it, and it was the same one, so... Really crazy. Wish I had asked her about her daughter, Courtney. <laughs> but, you know, you live and you learn. Google the people you're interviewing a little bit better than me, I guess. Okay, 13. The newsletter Feed Me by Emily Sundberg. This was recommended to me by my brother. And it's just a great read. I love that it feels sort of easy and natural and funny and... Given I had been feeling like my own writing was really overworked and unnatural, I found it kind of inspiring to read some writing that felt the opposite. Um, so I really enjoyed it. It's kind of just like cultural commentary. Emily is really funny and thoughtful. And if you're looking for um, some more newsletters to follow, I recommend. I get that question a lot, actually. Okay, number 14 a piece I wrote in April for a new magazine called Anxiety Empire. It's about the internet and mental health, and I strangely don't remember writing this piece. Um, When I heard that it was coming out, I had to go back into my Google Docs and read it because I just genuinely had no recollection. (laughs) I mean, I recollected that I wrote it, but I couldn't remember anything I said. Um, I think that's just kind of like the part of the dizzying experience of early quarantine, but full blackout on that. And, um, It was kind of strange to read my own writing without remembering it. It made me feel more like a reader. But anyway, the whole magazine is free, so you can um, purchase it. It looks really beautiful and thoughtfully done. And if you go into my newsletter, you can get a link to order one for yourself. Last but not least, 15. The following line from the book, The Chairs Are Where the People Go, by Misha Glauberman and Sheila Hedy. I picked this book up for thoughtful levity is what i'm calling it i wanted something that was light but that also made me think and um that's kind of a hard combination sometimes so i have been really satisfied with this book um through that lens so if you're looking for something similar the chairs are where the people go by misha glauberman and sheila hetty um anyway the line is quote art is communication made in the hope that interesting miscommunications will arise Okay, that's it for this week. Um, I've also inserted a few places you can donate to help um, with disaster relief in Lebanon. Um, There's a few, there's so many resources out there, so you've probably already seen them, but if you'd like a kind of short vetted list, I have one for you at the bottom of the newsletter. Um, Another reminder that a portion of all subscriber proceeds will be split between the Okra project, the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, and the Black Trans Travel Fund, this month. Um, those are three organizations that honor, protect, and advocate for Black trans people. So some of your money this month is going towards them. So thank you so much for subscribing, for sticking around, for reading, for listening, for giving a shit. It means the world. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.